Hello and welcome to Man's Search for Muscle, episode 6 of season 2. Just doing a brief introduction here before I get into the main topic of discussion, or actually I'm going to let you listen to a discussion that I recorded earlier. Actually, what I wanted to do here, I just wanted to draw your attention to a couple little slips of the tongue I had in this episode, that way you don't get confused. Uh, actually, I, I mentioned early on in the podcast that I was a bit scatterbrained at the moment, so maybe it wasn't the greatest time to do it, but reviewing it, I really liked the discussion, aside from these little mistakes. So it, it was about 15 minutes in, I believe, and the first mistake I made, I correct pretty much right after somewhat, and it, I was talking about proper resting tongue placement, and I said something that didn't make any sense, something like, placing your tongue behind your tongue, something like that. But then I get into how to actually do it by making the sound of an N. So it's pretty clear that what I was talking about was putting your tongue behind your teeth. So that one's quite easy to figure out, I think. The next one, I think I... I, I don't know, I listened to I Again, I just... My, my brain was scrambled and I mixed up the word nose with the word mouth. So that that one's a pretty big one. So I said something along the lines of it's optimal to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And what I meant to say was that it's optimal to breathe in through your nose and out through your nose. Similarly, I said that if you breathe in through your mouth, it is optimal for the reasons of, um, I believe that at that point I was talking about high, um, uh, temperature and humid humidification of air. And what I meant to say again in this case was breathing in through your nose has those advantages. So just wanted you to be aware of that so that the rest of it makes sense. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit embarrassing, but what the hell. Humans, eh? We're such a goofy species. Anyway, just wanted to leave you with that uh, so that you you can enjoy the conversation to the highest degree. And uh, without any further ado or annoying sponsor ads, I'll uh, let you get right into it. Welcome back, or welcome here for the first time, whichever the case may be. Either way, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad I'm here, and I'm... I want to talk a little bit about a couple books I read this week, or within the last week, was probably a more accurate way of saying that. So one was overall gets the thumbs down, and the other one gets a thumbs up at the moment, but it's still one of those things that I'm working my way through. The bad, I'll start there. A book called Brainwash. In my last episode, I did a brief review of how far I'd gotten. I think I was about four chapters in, and I was working my way through it. The The reason I give it a thumbs down, there there is some interesting and factual information within it. You know, you have to give credit where it's due. But the overriding themes and the conclusions the authors come to, I think, are not very helpful to anyone listening to it, wanting to use the information to make their lives better. 
some of the information perhaps is helpful. The, the concept behind the book is that we, based on today's society, we're eating inflammatory food, which is true, and we're not doing our brains any service on a um, biological level. And that by adapting your your thinking and your diet, that you can make your brain more um, optimal, I guess. See, maybe, maybe I need the cleanse because the words aren't coming to me and my brain's not working. I'm just coming back from the gym here, so forgive me if I'm a little bit out of breath and a little bit um, scatterbrained this morning, but... Anyway, I, the reason why I'm giving that book a thumbs down is because it, in certain ways it rubbed me the wrong way and the conclusions that we're coming to seem to be pushing some kind of a narrative that was a little bit sneaky. And I, don't, I simply don't like that. I just don't like when people pretend to be one thing and they're pushing something else. And what I found with this one was the, one of the very first things they mentioned in the book was, I th- and I, to give them credit, it might have been simply to try to empower people or give them hope. That might have been the intent. But they said, you know what? If you're overweight, it might not be your fault. It might be because you've been tricked by marketing or by your brain's dopamine system into wanting bad foods so in effect you're actually a victim this is what they said and I don't think that's an unfair version of what they said well I've I've been a believer for a long time ever since I come to to acknowledge the idea of the whole victim mentality, feeling sorry for yourself, that that's usually not a good mode of thinking if you're wanting to become better because that's casting blame outside yourself. So I don't, I simply don't like that. And the fact that that was their premise from the opening kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I tried to get past it but obviously I haven't, or I wouldn't have been bringing it up. But they said other stuff. They said, well, if you don't care about the environment, that's because your brain isn't properly developed and you're not compassionate. Now, that might be true, actually. That might be true that if you are a selfish person, that there's areas of your brain that are responsible for being selfless that maybe haven't been developed properly. That statement might be true. But the reason I take issue with it is because of what I see, and I I don't think it's a very helpful thing to go around thinking to yourself, oh, if I see somebody that doesn't appear to care about the environment the way I care about it, that's because their brain isn't developed. I suppose maybe maybe that's better in a way to f- pity them and say, oh, I feel sorry for you for not caring about the environment as much as I care about it. Maybe pitying somebody is better than saying it's just because they're evil, if that's the choices you give yourself. Or maybe you could just say to yourself, 
that maybe they do care, but they don't think that my methods of fixing the problem are the right methods. Maybe you could do that. Maybe you could actually treat people like they're people and not like they're inferior to you. And that's kind of the impression I got from this book is, it, like I said, for the most part, there wasn't much helpful. Now, where there was helpful stuff, I found that it was kind of rehashes of other things that were helpful. For example, there's a book called The Anti-Anxiety Diet. I think it was uh, Amy Morin was the author, if I remember right. And she talked a lot about, she got into specifics about how inflammatory food affects anxiety and even depression and made suggestions of, it, it was kind of an elimination diet where you would take these inflammatory foods out of your diet and measure measure it and see how it goes. And then if that works, take try taking another inflammatory food out. And that to me was much more practical and much more helpful and was addressing a real problem in a real way. So that gets a thumbs down. Now, enough on that. Wasting enough time and life on that. Let's get to the good one. The oxygen advantage. Now, this one, it, it's not a terribly new book. It came out, from what I can tell, in 2015. So it's been around a few years. and But it felt really revolutionary as I was reading it. Now, I guess in a way it felt almost too good to be true, which they always warn you about. But it really made sense. Now, I am giving it the thumbs up, but that being said, I, it, there hasn't been enough time elapsed for me to have fully tested everything the book is suggesting. But I'll give you a brief overview. This is what the theory of the book is. I'll just uh, read it off here. This is my own notes. So the premise of the book is optimizing your breath to improve cognition and physical performance. So if this is true, then uh, it's, it's, I have to say it's pretty exciting. The idea of improving both your brain function, your learning ability, and your physical performance is kind of what I've been all about since... Well, since starting this podcast and certainly before leading me into wanting to create it. So the theory is basically this, is that the way that it improves your performance that, sorry, it, the way that optimizing your breathing perform, will improve your performance is, first thing is it will reduce your resting heart rate. So essentially, you're optimizing your oxygen so that your blood, your heart doesn't have to work as hard. Thus, it the rest your resting heart rate goes down. Now, this is a somewhat new thing. I have heard a little bit about this idea about your resting heart rate and trying to lower it. And what that does is it gives you more room to progress. It's something that I've looked into a little bit. It's a little bit tricky to measure, but not impossible, but very fascinating. And there's been a few pe interesting people I've heard talking about it. Uh, the other way, uh, another thing is that if your brain is trained to use less oxygen, what it's also doing is it's going to 
become more efficient with the oxygen delivery. But then there's there's other things involved too, like uh, uh, carbon dioxide. Um, so in the book, he makes the point of we have this tendency to view carbon dioxide as kind of a waste type material. We breathe in oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide, but that's not really the whole story. Carbon dioxide does play a role. One of the roles it plays, for example, is, um, how did he word that? Keeping your airways, the, the muscles in your airways, um, soft and so that you can get better air. Um, it also, carbon dioxide and lactic acid for that matter are created when you're exercising. So if you've got a better tolerance for carbon dioxide, then again, your performance should theoretically be better. Um, when you excrete too much carbon dioxide, um, yeah, so that's when you get, that's when you're mouth breathing typically and and that's again because the it helps keep your airway muscles relaxed you're getting into this vicious cycle of excreting more carbon dioxide so thus needing more carbon dioxide thus breathing in more and and your oxygen again is not going to be optimized either um he also talks about proper pl tongue placement in in the process of doing this and this this kind of relates with the mouth breathing thing so nose breathing is one of the things he's really trying to uh, encourage in this book for a few reasons and tongue placement is one of the things to help with that and he gives the example if you put your proper quote-unquote tongue placement and I've heard this in multiple sources so I I think there's something to it, is on the roof of your mouth, not on the bottom. So the resting tongue spot should be kind of on your soft palate. Uh, which, the, is it the soft palate or hard palate? Well, don't quote me on that, all right? Anyway, it's a, read the book. It's, it's the top part of your mouth just kind of behind your tongue. Actually, this is how you would do it. You would make an N sound. And where your tongue goes for the N sound, that's where it should be at rest. And you, when your tongue is in that position, then try breathing through your mouth. It's not going to work too well. So one of the functions of doing this is that it helps to encourage you to breathe through your nose. And also it helps with, supposedly it can help when you do it early enough will help with your proper jaw development. Um, but nose breathing in, is also uh, important because, because it can uh, provide better air quality. We've probably all heard this. thing is, one thing I've heard a lot is breathing through your nose, out through your mouth. But actually, in through your nose, out through your mouth seems to be optimal. Um, it's going to, when you breathe in through your mouth, it's also going to adjust the temperature of your of the air you take in better so it's more optimized filtrate filter it um, and one of the coolest things actually has to do with nitric oxide nitric oxide is something that if you're if you've taken 
pre-workout supplements, you're probably familiar with this because they're talk, they talk about increasing the pump, increasing the vascularity uh, because nitric oxide in, in your, uh, dilates your blood vessels and helps the flow of blood. So this is, it's also, you might be aware of this, in erectile dysfunction medication is to help your blood um, increase your, your nitric oxide. So simply by breathing through your nose, it actually, I, get, I think it's in the sinuses where it creates, it, it increases your nitric oxide levels. So, so this is why I've started incorporating it. Now, when I say started, within the last week, so again, it's too early to test, but started incorporating it as pre-workout just making sure taking a few minutes to make sure I'm only breathing through my nose and part of the idea is to do it in short breaths so you want to gradually limit the amount of oxygen you need the idea of this book is that we are over breathing much the way people overeat and the goal is to at rest and sleeping and maybe even even during light activity to practice breathing lightly so that we require less and less oxygen. And one of the things it discusses is high altitude training, which you may have seen recently. People, they'll use these goofy-looking masks while doing cardio. Now, I should point that out. The idea behind this is not necessarily that you want to be doing that kind of training all the time, but rather it sounds like if you're doing it to increase performance, you're going to be limiting your performance if you do this kind of high altitude training while training really intensely. You simply are. So the idea isn't to do that. You don't want to limit your performance, but you want to increase your, your ability. So I would say that probably the goal is to be re- working on limiting your oxygen needs at all times except intense exercise, at which point just try not to think about it and just breathe normal. That's my takeaway anyway. So so it's very cool implications in this book. And one thing I liked is that... He, he laid out a method of actually testing yourself. So a couple episodes ago, I was talking about something I I called the map method for lack of anything more creative at the time. And the essential idea behind that is to, first of all, know what map you're on. What is the arena where you want to improve? And then where are you on this map? Where do you want to go? And of course, figuring out why you want to go there. Where's the next um, uh, step along the way, where's the next um, um, point that's in sight? So we can actually do this with this uh, method, if that's the goal. So the map itself would be reducing our need for oxygen or optimizing our body's with less oxygen, maybe a better way to say it. And he he gives what 
what's called the BOLT method. I don't know if he invented this or not, but it's, uh, it stands for body oxygen level test. And the idea is to time how long you can hold, not hold your breath, but so you breathe in normal, breathe out, and then after breathing out, just time yourself. See how long it is until, not how long you can hold your breath, but how long until you get that physical urge telling you, I need air. And then stop timing at that and breathe normal. And you want to increase that amount of time. So I timed myself and it was embarrassingly low. It was somewhere around 10 seconds, <laughs> which is not good. Um, typically, someone who's engaged in physical activity would want to be around 20 seconds. So that tells me I have a lot of room to grow. Now, it's honestly, it's not too surprising to me because I, I would think I would be a little bit better by now, but I like I have sleep apnea and it boggles the minds of the um, of the healthcare professionals because I'm in good shape and I don't fit the demographic of most people with sleep apnea. So maybe there's something in my airways that's not optimal. I don't know. But that being said, that makes it not very surprising to me that my score is low. But I can strive to increase it. And now the goal, when he's talking about elite athletes, that's somewhere around 40 seconds. Now for me, that's a way off. Uh, a ways off. That's too incomprehensible. But if I can, you know, work towards 20 seconds, even 15 seconds, that'd be fantastic. That'd be progress, right? Um, and so uh, continuing with this method. So if I was to say, okay, well, why do I want to increase this? Well, you know, just to keep my mind focused. Well, of course, there's all the benefits mentioned above the better mental and physical performance, uh, cardiovascular health improved weight management, and also it can help with, again, according to the book, can help with appetite control. Um, it's, it's probably, now, it's probably a good thing to, I always think it's a good thing to hold ourselves accountable, so in that way, I can see how it could be beneficial from a psychological standpoint as well. So, then we move on to, okay, how? How am I going to accomplish this? So, I think first and foremost, it comes down to drawing an awareness. Pay attention to how you're breathing. And working to try to focus on breathing through your nose, making your breaths smaller. And it's tricky, especially if I've tried a couple times doing cardio while breathing only through my nose. It's extremely difficult. And it builds up what he refers to as oxygen hunger, right? Um, so I, I wrote this here a little bit down um, just to help me out. So I'm, I'm going to read it to you and hopefully, it's, hopefully it helps you to get to the same, on the same page as me. So now this is, first of all, to think about biological functions and and using energy, pretty much. So, okay. So, when we... Uh, since we use energy to function, in order to create this energy, there's there's different resources we have. And probably the main one is converting oxygen 
or sorry, using oxygen to convert glucose into energy. Um, but sometimes we don't have enough oxygen in our system to do that. This is what's sometimes called anaerobic activity. So the body actually has another way of doing this, and that that is the, um, what is that called? Anaerobic metabolism, I think is what it's normally called. And so what happens is, in this process, the body creates lactate. And there's a byproduct of doing that called lactic acid, which you might be familiar with. And this this creation of, of the lactate also signals growth hormone, which is something I think I talked about recently about, yes, I did actually, about this is something I've been trying to do with my weight training lately is to deliberately get this effect of, of the creation of lactic acid and slash growth hormone to help with hypertrophy specifically. Um, so this, because we're creating energy without oxygen, it puts us into what you might call an oxygen deficit. Now, the the lactic acid byproduct does need to be dealt with by the body. And oxygen will do that later on to bring back normality or homeostasis. So this this has some implications according um, based on the, the stuff we've been talking about here. So if your body's conditioned to require less oxygen, again, we should be able to extend the amount of time it takes to enter into this state of anaerobic oxidation. In a sense, we're extending our capability and thus increasing our performance. Um, So, and it's, the, the really cool thing is that we can actually work on improving this while we sleep. So back to the question of how to do this, well, one of the suggestions he, he mentions, which I've tried before, and since I'm away now at, with work, I can try this, I have been trying this again, is, which is mouth taping. Um, it's something, it, that's a huge subject on its own. I don't want to dive too much into it, but suffice it to say, the times I've had the opportunity to practice mouth breathing, uh, mouth taping for during sleep, I have found I actually do sleep better. It doesn't stop me from snoring, though, for some reason. I have a CPAP machine that does help with my snoring, but funny enough, doesn't seem to give me as high quality of sleep. Maybe it's because of the intrusion of the machine, I don't know. But mouth taping I found, while it's kind of weird at first, it's it's something that it's something that I think is, is worth trying out if, if you're interested. Um, so also controlling your breath at, during even light cardio and being aware of your breath and the tongue position as well. Just thinking about these things I think is probably a good starting point and then they can be improved upon. Um, drinking beet juice supposedly can help with this nitric oxide as well. I mean, I like beet juice for the anti-inflammatory effects it has, um, but I think I'm going to start trying to take it a little bit more regularly and, and see how it works. Um, so I'm just going to 
finish this up with relating this into my current training. Like I said, I just got back from the gym. So I was thinking about this idea of re improving our ability to work without oxygen. For some reason, the idea of blood flow restriction training came to my mind because this is something that I've been playing with on and off for years and for different reasons and and it occurred to me isn't that what blood flow restriction training is doing in a way is working your muscles with reduced oxygen so it's it's an idea I'm probably going to continue to toy with the idea that came to my mind is now normally when you're doing this type of training the occluded training you would do it at the end of your training session because it wipes you out right it it uses the last of your energy resources and it burns like crazy so what i've but what i've tried doing is changing that very slightly so i i still do it towards the end of the workout but after doing it i'll rest a good three minutes or so and then do some heavy resistance training with that same limb whatever it is i'm doing just just a single set and even i, I might do some heavy negatives as well i did today anyway and that's the idea there being that now that I've trained you to work with less oxygen, let's put it to the test. Let's really work it, work the muscle with full access to uh, resources. And it's, I think in my brain, it's kind of similar to the idea of blood doping, which was a big thing where essentially people would refrigerate their blood their own blood and then train like normal and then before a competition they'd re-inject I guess their blood that way suddenly they had twice <laughs> the capacity of, of the oxygen um, it's a weird concept I, I don't know a ton about it but it seems to me that, that doing this is a similar type of, but natural, a natural way. So obviously it won't have the same kind of, you know, steroidal effects, but maybe it's a healthy, natural way to accomplish a similar type effect of, of improving overall performance. So it's something I'm playing with. Um, so I will, I will update you as it goes along and let you know if this is working. You never know. Like with, with these things few weeks time and I could be like well the results aren't anything noticeable above where I have been on the other hand who knows right the the downsides are or the up, potential upsides much outweigh the risk of it not being as effective as the book would make it seem so that being said uh, I would highly recommend reading it as well as always you know do additional research don't take this as gospel i'm sure there's things out there refuting some of it uh, but for the most part it seems pretty sound and uh, yeah i'll give that one my thumbs up and i will leave this week's episode at that catch you next time